ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله amma ba'd today then we have arrived at the chapter bab nawaqid al wudu the chapter that is going to discuss the nullifiers of the wudu the different types of things that invalidate your wudu that break your wudu first then anybody wish to read the chapter come read this one bismillahir rahmanir rahim alhamdulillah wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala qala almusannif rahimallahu ta'ala babu nawaqid alwudu' وهي أولا الخارج من السبيلين مطلقا وثانيا والدم الكثير ونحوه ثالثا وزوال العقل بنوم أو غيره رابعا وأكل لحم الجزور خامسا ومس المرأة بشهوة سادسا ومس الفرج سابعا وتغزيل الميت ثامنا والردة وهي تحبط الأعمال كلها لقوله تعالى أو جاء أحد منكم من الغائط أو لامستم النساء وسئل النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم أنا توضأ من لحوم الإبل فقال نعم رواه مسلم وقال في الخفين ولكن من غائط وبول ونوم رواه النسائي والترمذي وصححه So this chapter then It carries on from the previous chapters. The previous chapters were talking about the one that we just did regarding wiping over the socks or the leather socks. So this chapter is now going to go through one by one all of the different types of things that break your wudu. Al-Sheikh Abdurrahman Al-Sa'idi rahimahullah ta'ala has mentioned them all in list form there. And we will mention them, uh, all of those mentioned in that list, uh, but in a different order to that list. The first one we're going to discuss is sleeping. Does sleep break your wudu or not? There is a hadith, of Anas ibn Malik رضي الله عنه قال كان أصحاب رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم على عهده ينتظرون العشاء حتى تخفق رؤوسهم ثم يصلون ولا يتوضأون in this hadith of Anas رضي الله عنه he mentions 
that the companions of the Prophet ﷺ, during his time, they used to be waiting for the Isha prayer. And their heads would be nodding off. Their heads would be falling when that sleep overcomes you. And then when prayer took place, they would get up and pray without going and making wudu again. So this hadith mentions they used to be waiting for the Isha prayer late at night. And after a long day, their heads were falling from sleep. And yet when the messenger came, they would get up and line up and pray without going and making wudu. Even though they were, as we say, uh, the phrase that we use sometimes, nodding off. But they didn't go and make wudu. They prayed as they were. So this hadith then, which is one of the important narrations around the issue of whether sleeping breaks your wudu or not, it mentions a few things. Firstly, it mentions that this incident occurred during the life of the Prophet ﷺ. That it was the companions themselves who were sitting in the mosque waiting for the Isha prayer. And that's because we know from the Sunnah it is that you are supposed to pray all of the prayers at the beginning time or middle time or end time. When are you supposed to pray the prayers? The sunnah is of course to pray them all at the beginning time except the Isha prayer where the sunnah is to delay it to the later time if the congregation is capable. If the congregation is capable, then the sunnah is to delay the Isha prayer to the later time of Isha rather than at the beginning when the time enters. If the congregation is capable. In the Sunnah, it actually mentions that at Isha time, the Prophet ﷺ would look to see in the mosque. His house was right next door. The wall next door to the mosque was his house. He used to look at Isha time. It's mentioned occasionally. And if he saw that all of the companions had gathered, he would come out and pray Isha early at the beginning time. But if he noticed not many had gathered yet, then he would delay it until a later time. But the general sunnah is to delay it if the congregation is capable. So on this occasion it mentions how the Isha prayer was being delayed and prayed at a slightly later time. And the companions of the Prophet ﷺ were in the mosque waiting and after a long day, and the companions, they used to work as shepherds, as farmers. After a long day, since Fajr, 
Now at the time of Isha, they were tired and they were fatigued. And so when they were sitting in the mosque waiting, then their heads were dropping from sleep. As Shaykh Al-Fawzan says, that this incident occurred with the companions of the Prophet And he mentions the definition of who the companions are. مَنْ لَقِيَ النَّبِيَّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ مُؤْمِنًا بِهِ وَمَاتَ عَلَى ذَلِكَ Somebody who met the Prophet ﷺ, believing in him, mu'min at the time of meeting him, and also died upon Islam. The reason why we say in the definition of a companion, someone who met the Prophet, man laqiyya, and we don't say man ra'a, because some of the companions were blind, like Abdullah ibn Muktum. Some of them were blind, they never saw the messenger, but they met the messenger. So in the definition of a companion, someone who met the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, meaning they met him after the revelation as well. And that they believed in him at the time, and that they died upon Islam. So anybody who lived at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, anybody who was alive at the time of the Prophet, and they were believers, but they never actually got to meet the Prophet ﷺ, then are they companions or not? They were alive at the same time as the messenger. Muslims, they had accepted Islam, but they never actually got to go and meet the messenger personally. Never got to go and see him personally. Are they considered companions or not? They are not considered companions. Even though they lived at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, and even though they were believers, they are not considered companions, and that is because they didn't meet the Prophet ﷺ. They are instead known as Mukhadramun. They have a title for them, the Mukhadramun, known as the Mukhadramun, the ones who were alive at the time of the messenger, believers, but they never met the Prophet ﷺ, like in Najashi. And others besides him, there are examples, Suwayd ibn Ghafala and uh, Abu Wa'il al-Asadi, and there are some examples of them. Also, like we said, they had to be a believer at the time. So if somebody met the Prophet ﷺ, but this person himself at the time was not a Muslim yet, and then later on he became Muslim. But after he became Muslim, later on he never met the Messenger again. Is he a companion? He wouldn't be considered because he met the messenger at a time when he was not a believer at the time. 
Uh, and also, died upon Islam, this excludes anyone who met the messenger believing in him, but then apostated, and there are some very few examples of that. So these were the companions of the Prophet ﷺ. كَانَ أَصْحَابُ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ عَلَىٰ أَهْدِهِ During his time. During the time of the Prophet. And the reason why that is important is because if something was done during the time of the Prophet ﷺ, if something was done during the time of the Prophet ﷺ, and the Messenger did not reject those actions that were being done, then this indicates the iqrar of the Prophet ﷺ, the acknowledgement, the tacit approval of the Messenger. The reason why that is an evidence is because we have the statements of the Prophet ﷺ, his aqwal, they are evidence. We have the actions of the Prophet ﷺ, his af'al, they are also evidence what the Prophet did, how he showed us the sunnah. And the third thing is the iqrar, what the messenger accepted, what he acknowledged, the tacit approval. And they are things that the companions used to do during the lifetime of the messenger and the messenger never rebuked them for it. That indicates what the companions were doing was correct. Because if the companions were doing something that was bid'ah or misguidance or, or incorrect in opposition to the sunnah during the life of the Prophet ﷺ, when he was still alive, then the messenger would have told them, you can't do this and you can't do that. And if he didn't tell them that, it meant what they were doing was okay. But what if somebody says they were doing things and the messenger didn't know they were doing those things? What if somebody says these things were happening at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, but the Prophet didn't know that the companions were doing this or that, so how is he supposed to Tell them if it's okay or not, to agree with it or not. What if he didn't know what some of the companions were doing? The revelation. Because the scholars, they say, it is not possible that the companions would be doing something in opposition to the sunnah and that the revelation would not come to tell the messenger to correct that. It is not possible. That the messenger is there and the companions are doing things that are haram or impermissible or incorrect. And the revelation does not come to tell the messenger to rectify that affair. So the fact that no revelation came to the messenger indicates that what was being done was approved by the messenger in that case. Approved by the messenger in that case. فَمَا يُفْعَلُ عَلَىٰ أَحْدِهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ وَلَمْ يُنْكِرْهُ فَإِنَّهُ يُعَدُّ مِنَ السُنَّةِ التَّقْرِيرِيَّةِ 
لأنها لو كانت صلاتهم باطلة أو فعلهم هذا غير جائز لنبههم عليه صلى الله عليه وسلم So this example that we have in the hadith that they were basically nodding off falling into some sleep and then when the messenger came they just got up and prayed if that was wrong and their wudu was actually broken because they had nodded off then that would mean that if the messenger didn't tell them, they'd be praying without wudu. They'd be praying without wudu. Their prayers would be batil, invalid. And it's impossible that the revelation wouldn't have come to clarify that. Impossible. So the fact that this happened at the time of the messenger, and the messenger didn't rebuke that, nor did any revelation come to reveal that, then it indicates those actions were okay. There's uh, uh, many examples of that, of the acknowledgement of the messenger, the iqrar, the taqrir. So that is what occurs here. إِمَّا And so that can either be via the messenger being directly aware of what someone is doing and acknowledging that, not telling them off, not telling them it's wrong, seeing it and remaining silent upon it, indicating that's okay. And if the messenger didn't see something himself directly, then nobody can argue, then what if he didn't know? Because in that case, That the revelation would then come to tell him of what the companions were doing, if it was in opposition to the religion. And this is obviously completely different to what is done after his death. After his death, if people innovate now, there is no revelation now. The revelation has cut off. The revelation has cut off. So after his death, there is no such thing as acknowledgement or tacit approval of anything. The revelation has ended now. But during his life, then if anything was being done incorrectly in that way, he would either tell them if he knew of it, or the revelation would come to inform him of it, and then he would tell them. That's why it mentions in this hadith that this incident of the companions nodding off and then praying without making wudu happened at the time of the Prophet Anas radiallahu anhu is highlighting an evidence in that. That this was occurring during the time of the messenger, not after. So if it was wrong, the messenger would have said so, or revelation would have come upon him to say so. So, yantadhirun al-isha, yani yantadhirun salat al-isha, لِيُؤَدُّوهَا مَعَ النَّبِيِّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ فَيَتَأَخَّرُ عَلَيْهِمْ لِأَنَّهُ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ كَانَ يُفَضِّلُ تَأْخِيرَ صَلَاةِ الْعِشَاءِ فَقَدْ كَانُوا يَنْتَظِرُونَهُ لِذَا فَالْإِمَامُ يَجِبُ انْتِظَارُهُ إِلَّا إِذَا تَبَيَّنَ عَدَمُ مَجِيئِهِ لِعُذْرِ So the companions they were waiting for the messenger because the messenger preferred to delay the Isha prayer. And within that is an evidence, the Shaykh says, 
that you are supposed to wait for the imam. You are supposed to wait for the imam to come for the prayer. Uh, because the habit of the people is if the prayer is at a certain time, if the imam hasn't come, one minute goes past, that's it, they want somebody else to go up and lead the prayer. And that isn't the correct way. You're supposed to wait. Wait a little bit, wait a few minutes, maybe traffic on the roads, anything. A little bit of a delay, he's late maybe. You're supposed to wait. Not instantly, one minute goes by, that's it, he's not here, who's going to lead the prayer? The right of the prayer is for the imam. You're supposed to wait for the imam. Only if it becomes clear and apparent that he's not coming, either because he's told you or someone that he's not making it, or some time does go by and still nothing, he's not here, then you think maybe he's not making it and somebody leads the prayer then. But after one minute or two minutes past the prayer time, you shouldn't just get up and somebody else leave the prayer like that. Unless the imam has told you he's not making it, or otherwise there is some reason definitely for you to believe he's not making it, or otherwise you wait for a while at least, wait five, ten minutes at least, and then if he doesn't come, somebody lead the prayer. وَلَكِنْ لَمَّا كَانُوا رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُمْ يَتْعِبُونَ فِي النَّهَارِ في مصارعهم وفي حروثهم وفي أشغالهم كانوا يغلبهم النعاس وقت العشاء وهم جالسون ينتظرون الصلاة ثم إذا أقيمت فهم يصلون مع النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم ولا يتوضؤون من هذا النعاس. So they did not used to get up and make the wudu after they had been nodding off, falling into some level of sleep before the messenger had come to lead the prayer. So there's a few points of benefit here generally. One is, as we said, things that were done at the time of the messenger and were not rebuked can be used as evidences. Also, the imam is supposed to be waited for and you don't instantly put someone else to lead the prayer. Also, the preference to delay the Isha prayer if the congregation is able and in particular though, the purpose of our discussion here, it talks about sleep. And this hadith seems to indicate that sleep does or does not break your wudu. Does not. This hadith seems to indicate that sleeping does not break your wudu. However, you remember in the previous chapter about wiping over the socks, there was the hadith of Safwan ibn Assad, where he said, "Kana al-Nabiyyu sallallahu alaihi wasallam ya'muruna idha kunna safran alla nanzi'a khifafana illa min ghaitin wa bawlin wa nawmin." In that hadith, it had mentioned that the messenger told us we don't have to remove uh, uh, our socks. Uh, we do not have to remove them except if it is from the uh, uh, using the toilet for either purpose of using the toilet for the defecation or the urination. And what was mentioned there was gnome. 
from sleep. So that indicated using the toilet breaks your wudu and sleeping breaks your wudu. That previous narration. But this one here indicates that it doesn't break your wudu. The companions just got up and prayed afterwards. So how do we understand the issue and how do we get to a conclusion? The scholars have three main opinions. Thalafatu aqwal. Al-qawl al-awwal anna al-nawm la yanqudhu al-wudu mutlaqan. One opinion says that sleep does not break your wudu at all. That sleep is not one of the nullifiers of wudu. And the evidence they use is this hadith. They say, look, the companions were falling asleep waiting for the messenger. In one narration it even says, That even their like, light, light snoring sounds could be heard. From when they were nodding off, waiting for the messenger, the light kind of snoring, not the the proper snoring, but the light kind of heavy breathing sounds could be heard from them when somebody nods off. Even those sounds could be heard from them. And in one narration it says, That when the messenger came in, someone had to go and get them up. So they were asleep. There was some level of sleep upon them. And yet they got up and they prayed without making wudu. And it was at the time of the messenger. So even if he hadn't noticed that, the revelation would have come to clarify that nothing did. Therefore some scholars say, sleeping does not break your wudu at all. It's not a nullifier. But the second opinion, that first opinion, many of the Shafi'is have that opinion. It is a common opinion in the school of thought of the Shafi'iyyah that uh, sleeping does not break your wudu. The second opinion, Al-Qawl al-Thani, Anna al-Nawma yanqudhu al-wudu mutlaqan qaliluhu wa kathiruh That sleep breaks your wudu in every form whether it's just nodding off lightly or properly falling asleep for several hours, whatever type of sleep, any sleep, even the minor nodding off for a while, all of it breaks your wudu. That's the second opinion, completely the other way. The second opinion, every type of sleep, whether light sleep or deep sleep, it all breaks your wudu. And the evidence they use is that hadith of Safwan ibn Asal, where the messenger highlighted to them regarding using the toilet, answering the call of nature, and mentioned along with that, sleep as another thing. So answering the call of nature we know obviously breaks your wudu, and sleep is mentioned in the same hadith next to it. So sleep also breaks your wudu. That hadith, appears to be a clear evidence that sleep is something that breaks your wudu, it invalidates your wudu, it is a nullifier. There is in fact another hadith as well they use, it's in the Musnad of Imam Ahmad, in the Sunan of Abu Dawood and Ibn Majah, 
that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, مَنْ نَامَ That whomsoever sleeps, then let him make wudu. Seems to be a very clear narration. Whomsoever sleeps, then let him make wudu. That would seem to indicate by sleeping your wudu has become invalidated. So the second opinion is any type of sleep. If you fall asleep, minor or major, deep or light, your sleep breaks your wudu. Uh, and this opinion is found with the Hanafis. The Hanafis have the opinion that any type of sleep breaks your wudu. And then in some of their explanations of some of the uh, scholars, they have some slight exceptions. Uh, they, uh, they mention, for example, imagine if somebody fell asleep in the prayer. That you're in the prayer and you nod off in prostration or something, and then you arise. They said that wouldn't break your wudu in the prayer. Some details of that nature. But generally the second opinion, the second opinion, it breaks your wudu. The third opinion, the third opinion is, and by the way, how do they reply to the first opinion? What's their response? How do they answer back to the scholars who say it doesn't break your wudu, the companions, they used to fall asleep and pray without making wudu. They say, but that was the companions who did that. It's not a hadith that the messenger ever did that. They say, we don't have any narration. The messenger fell asleep and got up and prayed. It was the companions. But as we've already explained, that is a weak explanation. Because even the companions, they were doing that, yes. But at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, and if it was wrong, the messenger would have told them or revelation would have come. So their explanation against the first opinion is a weak explanation. The third opinion, which is perhaps, perhaps, Allahu A'lam, the strongest of them, perhaps it is the, the opinion of the school of Imam Ahmed and Imam Malik, where they say deep sleep is a nullifier of the wudu, but light sleep is not. الْيَسِيرِ فَإِنَّهُ لَا يَنْقُضُ الْوُضُوءِ كَمَا فِي حَدِيثِ أَنَسِ بْنُ مَالِكِ They say if it is deep sleep, your wudu breaks. But if it is light sleep, then your wudu doesn't break. And they say the companions in that narration, were they in deep sleep or light sleep? They say the companions were only in light sleep. You're waiting for the prayer, it's late. You're sitting on the wall, your head starts to drop off, but you're not in deep, deep sleep. You are in a state of light sleep there. So they say that's why their wudu didn't break. That's considered light sleep. They weren't in deep, deep sleep like you are when you go to sleep at night. But as for the hadith of Safwan ibn Asal, 
when the sleeping was mentioned alongside going to the toilet, that's in reference to the deep sleep. So they say in that way you can combine the evidences. The evidences, some of them indicate no wudu after sleeping, some of them indicate wudu after sleeping. They say it's easy. The narrations that are talking about having to make wudu if you've slept are talking about deep sleep. And the ones like this one where it highlights no wudu is needed after sleeping is in reference to the light sleep. وَبِهَذَا تَجْتَمِعُ الْأَدِلَّةِ وَالْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ فَيُعْمَلُ بِأَحَدِيثِ النَّقْضِ عَلَى النَّوْمِ الْكَثِيرِ وَبِأَحَدِيثِ عَدَمِ النَّقْضِ عَلَى النَّوْمِ الْيَسِيرِ الَّذِي يَضْبِطُ الْإِنسَانُ نَفْسَهُ فِيهِ وَلَا يَزُولُ شُعُورُهُ بِالْكُلِّيَّةِ How do you distinguish between deep sleep and light sleep? You may have some brothers here, they nod off, and then they wake up, they think they only nodded off, and then the brother tells them, you've been asleep lying down for six hours there. <laughs> How do you know? How do you distinguish between light sleep and deep sleep? If you, uh, if you're in position of this is what some of the scholars, they say, that if you are still, sit, uh, if you are, in a position where you still have control over your body. If you're sitting or, or in some form or position of how your body is normally sitting, if you're in some type of sitting position or some type of form like that, where you still have some control over your body, then you are not considered in deep sleep. Control over your body, meaning now if you're leaning up against the wall and you're sitting there on the wall and you nod off. If you're in absolute deep sleep, you're gone. What's going to happen? Eventually you're just going to completely fall over. That's you're in now deep sleep, you're gone. But if you can maintain yourself there and you keep nodding and waking and that means you're in a... Light sleep yet, you can keep your body there still. You can keep your body there. There's enough function that your body is still being kept in that position. You're not collapsing. So they say if you are in a position where you are still controlling your body to a degree, it is settled in that sitting position, etc. In a position where you are uh, controlling it in that way, then in that case, they say it is not considered as deep sleep. As well as having some element of perception. Some element of perception. That your, your senses, they do not disappear completely. So when you're in that light sleep, as soon as someone just even barely maybe touches you or, or says your name, then straight away you're awake, you're alert, you're in light sleep. But if you're in deep sleep, somebody may be shaking you for a while until you get up deep sleep. There's a difference. In light sleep, you still have some perception. You may even be nodding off, but you can hear sounds in the background. So there are differences between 
deep sleep and light sleep. The deep sleep when you are gone into that sleep. The light sleep when you're still controlled and have some perception. That's number one then. From the nullifiers of wudu, number one is deep sleep. Number one then, upon the conclusion we're making here, is that deep sleep is a nullifier of the wudu. And that if you fall into deep sleep, you must then make the wudu again before you can pray. And deep sleep being defined by the fact that your body is loose, it's gone. You're not maintaining your body any longer, it is gone. Lying down, fallen, uh, laying back on something, whatever, but your body is gone. You are not in control of your body in any position. And your perception of things is completely gone. Deep sleep. But minor sleep or light sleep where you are still controlling your body to a degree uh, and your perceptions are still there to a degree and it's not a deep sleep where your senses are completely gone. The second one we'll quickly mention as well today. The second nullifier of the wudu is going to be here the istihada which is the blood that exits from a woman outside of her period. During the period, the woman does not... Does not what? Pray. Pray anyway. So now we're talking about the istihada, which is the blood that may exit from a woman outside of her normal period. And that would be considered as a nullifier of the wudu. Uh, and the evidence for that, there is a hadith or multiple narrations, but one of them of Aisha radiyallahu anha, قالت جاءت فاطمة بنت أبي حبيش إلى النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم فقالت that the uh, Fatima, the daughter of Abu Hubeish, she came to the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم فقالت and she said, Ya Rasulullah, O Messenger of Allah, 
inni mra'atun ustahadu fala athur. That I am a woman who has this bleeding that occurs regularly outside of the period. The normal period, that's the normal period. But outside of the normal period, I have constant bleeding. Regularly, I have some extra bleeding that occurs. And I'm never upon purification as such. Then am I supposed to just not pray then? Meaning, is that extra blood that keeps coming out the rest of the month as well, considered the same ruling as the actual period? Do I just not pray then because this blood keeps coming out? The messenger said, no. That is only a blood vessel. It is not the period bleeding. The istihada, it occurs in a different way. That extra blood that may occur from a woman outside of her period, then that is not the blood of the period. It is blood that occurs from some veins or arteries or from other areas. It is not the blood of the period that exits. So the messenger said, no, that is not the period blood. فَإِذَا أَقْبَلَتْ حَيْضَتُكِ فَدَعِ When your actual period time comes, those days, then leave the prayer. In those days, leave the prayer. وَإِذَا أَدْبَرَتْ And when those days they finish, then do your ghusl and pray. So in this narration, it highlights that Fatima bint Abi Hubaysh, she had this istihada, which is this extra blood that may come out outside of the period times. And so she came to ask the Prophet ﷺ about that. And this blood, the scholars have said, it could be due to some dysfunction within the woman or some other illness or some other reason. It is not the period. And so she came to ask the messenger about that. And the messenger told her, no, that is not considered to be your period blood. So do not leave the prayer during that time. يعني فلا تدع الصلاة هي سألت بناء على أن المعروف بأن الحائض تدع الصلاة فهل الاستحاضة مثل الحيض تدع فيها المرأة الصلاة هذا الذي أشكل عليها فالنبي صلى الله عليه وسلم أجابها أن الاستحاضة ليست مثل الحيض فلا تدع الصلاة من أجلها وَبَيَّنَ لَهَا السَّبَبُ وَهُوَ أَنَّ الْإِسْتِحَاضَ عِرْقُ So the Prophet wasallam highlighted to her that this is not a cause or a reason to leave the prayer. Rather this blood is something extra outside of the period blood. So when that blood occurs, you simply make the wudu and pray. This hadith highlights the ruling then. When a woman is on the period, the normal days of the period, she doesn't pray anyway. But then when the normal days of the period end, for example, the woman has a period of seven days, for example. 
and she knows that it always comes in the first week of the month, for example. So then one month, all of a sudden, the first week she has the period, but then in the second week and in the third week, she's noticing blood still out of the ordinary. So now then, what's the ruling upon that blood? Is it period? Is it not? The messenger told her that is not period now. That is istihada. Extra blood comes out for other reasons. And there are ways to distinguish. One method of distinguishing is the habit. If it is her habit, seven days, every month, and always the first week of the month, that is the habit. Then suddenly one month in the third week of that month, some little bit of blood comes out, she knows that is not the period, it is outside of her habit. And on top of that, even if she didn't have a fixed habit of when it occurs, then there are methods to distinguish, and the women, uh, some of them will be aware of distinguishing between the different types of blood, that the blood of the monthly cycle has a consistency that is thicker than normal blood that would exit. Uh, On top of that, it has a color darker than the normal light color of blood. And on top of that, it has a certain smell that is uh, 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 a a type of smell that is not something uh, uh, likable compared to the normal blood. So there are ways to distinguish on top of that. The point being here, the messenger told her that does not break, uh, that uh, uh, is not something that you abandon the prayer for or you stop praying. You make the wudu and pray. So it indicates that istihada is a nullifier of wudu because she does have to make wudu if she's got that extra bleeding occurring outside of the period. She does have to make wudu. The ruling is if a woman has a lot of excess bleeding outside of her period. Nothing to do with her period. Different bleeding for some other problem or illness or whatever it is. Then the ruling is she has to purify that area, the istinja, properly purify that area, clean that area, and then uh, use something like the sanitary products these days. Use something to... Uh, make sure that no blood will exit from that area now, then make wudu and pray. And that must be done after the time for the prayer enters. So a woman who has constant bleeding like that, outside of the period, when the prayer time for Fajr comes in, these days, maybe what is it, 5.30, a.m. or something, when Fajr comes in, then she can make that istinja properly, clean that area properly, use something of the sanitary products, etc. Then make wudu and then pray fajr. Even if the blood continues to exit onto the, uh, continues to flow within that sanitary product, continues to flow, she can pray because the blood is flowing. So all that is upon her is to wash. Uh, use something of the sanitary products or otherwise, and then make the wudu and pray. Same for dhuhr. When dhuhr time comes in, she has to do that again. So she can't do that at 11 a.m. She thinks, let me go do all of that now at 11 a.m. 
and wash that area, put on the sanitary products, etc. And then two hours later at one o'clock, she's going to pray Dhuhr. That wouldn't be allowed because she has cleansed herself and done all of that before the prayer time came in. So she must wait for the prayer time to come in to do that. And then she can pray even if the blood is still flowing. And the scholars have mentioned it is permissible for a woman in that situation to do it, to do that cleansing three times a day rather than five. Meaning it's permissible for a woman in that situation to combine her dhuhr and asr and then maghrib and isha. So that she only has to do all of that process of cleaning and then using the products and then uh, making the wudu etc. three times a day rather than five. And some scholars have said rather than combining, she should do the washing etc. right at the end of dhuhr time so that she just captures dhuhr in its time and then straight after that she can pray her asr in its time that has now begun and entered. So they call that jama' suri. That it, 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 you're looking like you're combining. Looks like she has prayed dhuhr and asr together. But in reality she prayed dhuhr in the time of dhuhr and asr in the time of asr. In reality she didn't combine. But in practical effect in the timing, it's almost as though she did. Because it then saves her having to do that cleansing five times. She can do it three times. We'll uh, conclude upon that today. There's a few more points to make. And then uh, we have all the rest of the list as well. The meat of camels and blood and uh, touching the private parts and washing the body of a, a dead person. Various types of things are still going to come yet regarding what breaks your wudu. But we'll mention those two as a starter today. Deep sleep and the istihada, the blood that exits outside of the normal period. Both of those are considered from the nullifiers of wudu. Any quick question or anything then? You know, like sleep obviously nullifies wudu. Let's say someone has a faint collapse. See, does that, is there any kalam of the scholars that say that breaks wudu as well? Yeah, we'll get to that. Al-Ighma'ah. Uh, uh, if uh, a person ha- falls unconscious, they fall unconscious, then the scholars, some of them do mention that your wudu has gone now. Because due to falling unconscious, your state of intention disappeared as well. Now when you wake up, you got to make your intention. Because if you make an intention to exit from a wudu, then you've exited with your intention. When you fall unconscious, some type of coma or unconscious or something occurs like that, then at that time, the pen is lifted from you, there is no intention upon you. So the scholars say you should refresh your wudu thereafter. Anybody else? Alright, we'll conclude upon that today. Inshallah, resume from that next time. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam.